We can't hear that message enough that he has risen indeed. Thank you, choir, for sharing it with us this morning. I love Easter. I love the flowers. I love the music. I love the food, and I can't wait for the pancake breakfast after the service. I was half tempted just to almost in now just so we can get there, but I won't. Thank you for all the people who, who's work and, and work so hard to make this day possible. There was once a pastor who, during his children's sermon, um, asked the kids if they knew what the meaning of Easter was. And one little girl raised her hand and said, Easter is when the whole family gets together and eats a turkey. The pastor said, no, 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 that's Thanksgiving. And another girl raised her hand and said, no, 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 Easter is when, Easter's when you, you get a tree and you decorate it and you give presents to each other. The pastor said, no, 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 that's Christmas. Well, finally, little Johnny spoke up. And little Johnny said, Easter is when Jesus died and was put in the tomb for three days. And at this point, the pastor said, was about ready to say, good job, Johnny. But then Johnny went on to say, and then everyone gathers around the tomb and waits to see if Jesus comes out. If he sees his shadow and goes back inside, <laughs> then that means six more weeks of winter. We need to pray. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, help us to see the importance of Easter. Help us to understand in the midst of our doubts that there's things that we can do about our doubt, that we can pray to you, that we can look at the other arguments and see just how foolish they are. We can, we can also, Lord, we can look at the facts of the resurrection. And finally, most importantly, we can listen to your Son as he speaks a wonderful word of promise to us, calling us out of our doubts, calling us out of our unbelief, calling us so that we would trust all that he has for us. Oh, call us now, gracious Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Are Christians allowed to doubt? Well, whether we're allowed to or not, we do. We doubt ourselves, each other, and we doubt God. Did you hear about the woman who was rescued from a runaway carriage? She said she trusted God until the rains break, broke. Well, she didn't trust God. She trusted the rains. C.S. Lewis once said, I think the trouble with me is the lack of faith. I have no rational ground for going back on the arguments that convinced me of God's existence. But the irrational deadweight of my old nature remains. Mind you, I don't think so. The whole of my reasonable mind is convinced of Christianity. But I often feel so. And my feelings often doubt if this is true. Do people doubt? Yes. Do all people doubt? Absolutely. In our gospel reading, we find doubt among the early disciples. In John 19, 1-3, we read about their doubt. It says, early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. Now in this passage, we, we first discover that Mary was the first one to notice that Jesus' body was missing. Now, who was this Mary? Mary was a woman 
who was standing at the foot of Jesus, at the foot of the cross when Jesus had been killed. Mary became a follower earlier she, she had, when Christ cast seven demons out of her. This is important because Mary obviously knew the power of both God and the power of the devil. Now, of all people who should understand on that first day that God was defeating the devil with the resurrection of Christ, Mary should have been one to get it. But did she? No. She did not understand. Instead, she ran to the disciples and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have put him. Well, this doesn't sit well with Peter and John, and so they run to the tomb. Now, surely they would understand what happened. Peter and John were the first disciples called by Jesus. Peter had confessed that Jesus had the words of eternal life. John was the beloved disciple. Both had seen Jesus transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Both had witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Surely they would understand. But they didn't. Friends, it is easy to doubt we do it all the time. It's easy to, under, to not understand what God is up to. And so the question for us this morning is, what do we do with our doubt? And the answer, answer is simple. We need to deal with it. And so I want to offer four ways to deal with our doubt this morning. First thing, when you doubt, pray. Ask God to help you. God loves for you to pray. God even loves for you to pray and say, God, I don't understand this, or I don't know if I believe it. Help me believe, Lord. God loves to hear you pray. That's why the Lord's Prayer begins with our Father, because God wants to invite you to pray. He's trying to attract you to pray. God wants to lure you so that you might pray to Him. In fact, having a daughter, I've learned so much about what prayer looks like. My daughter knows that if, if mom doesn't give in, the next thing she says is, Daddy, Daddy. And I come in, I'm a poor sap, and I say, what do you want, sweetie? Here's everything, right? I mean, that's what our father begins with. That's what God is doing with saying, when Jesus taught us to pray our father, it's just like that, Daddy. Call out to him. He wants to hear you pray. When you're doubting, pray to him. He loves to hear your prayer. The second thing we can do when we doubt is to listen to the other people on the other side of the argument. Listen to what they have to say. Listen to those who doubt themselves or who, who are arguing against Christianity. And I tell you why you should do that, because you'll soon learn just how foolish their arguments are. How many of you recognize the name John Allegro? John Allegro, um, in the 70s, wrote a book in England. He was a bigwig, a, a, a skeptic of, of the resurrection. In fact, he, his argument was this, that Jesus never existed at all. Instead, the word Jesus was nothing more. This is, this is what he really said. Jesus, the word Jesus was nothing more and nothing less than some sort of code word for a sacred mushroom, which produced hallucinations. He went on to say that the early Christians, he argued, were far from worshipers of God. They were just simply secret mushroom eaters. <laughs> he went further. 
He said when it was written that Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He went, no, that's not what it meant. He said what the early disciples did was they said those words as an incantation right at the moment they were picking the sacred mushroom from the ground. But when he was asked to produce his reasons for this, he was immediately discredited. I think John Allegro ate too many mushrooms himself. <laughs> A few weeks ago, I shared with you some of the other theories that people make against the resurrection. I'll quickly just briefly mention them to you. The swoon theory suggests that Christ never actually died. He just passed out on the cross and then later revived in the tomb, as if getting pierced in the side wouldn't kill him. Foolish theory. Second theory, the wrong, room, the wrong tomb theory which says that the disciples came back, but they came back to the wrong tomb. And when they saw that Jesus wasn't in the wrong tomb, in that tomb, they said, oh, he must have rose from the dead, as if the disciples needed map quest or something. I mean, it's, it's a terrible theory. The third one is the hallucination theory that states the apostles did not really see the resurrected Jesus. They only hallucinated it, them and 500 others. I don't know when so many people have a hallucination. Or finally, the hypnotic theory suggests that the, the disciples hypnotized everyone so that they would believe. These are real theories made by thinking people to discredit the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you ever doubt, listen to their theories. <laughs> Suddenly you'll go, you know, I feel a lot better about my own faith. So do that. Those flimsy theories will only strengthen your faith. Well, a third thing to do with our doubt is to look at the facts. And in our passage, we see many of the facts that speak of the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus. First, we see the empty tomb. Next, folded burial clothes and a, a head covering. Two angels, a risen Jesus that you can lay hold of. Not a vision, not a ghost, nor an illusion. There were eyewitnesses. John, Peter, Mary, soon all the disciples, and by the end of the month, over 500 witnesses, people who had nothing to gain and everything to lose by making this up. All of them said the same thing. Jesus, who had been killed, has been raised from the dead. Now, each of these clues are important. An empty tomb is important because in the early church, all someone had to do to discredit Christianity, all they had to do to shut them up would be go to the tomb and drag the body out. That's all they would have to do. As that would immediately discredit Christianity. All they had to do is say, there he is. No one could do that. Not even an attempt could be made for that. Or what about those folded clothes? People say, oh, well, grave robbers took Jesus. Well, when was the last time robbers rob your house and then neatly put everything away? Right? They folded, they carefully folded Jesus' clothing. It wasn't grave robbers. It was Jesus himself. And yet, what about these eyewitnesses? The eyewitnesses are the most important. These people didn't have anything to gain by saying Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, these people were killed and persecuted for this message. How many people are willing to die for a lie? If it was a cover-up, surely one of them, one of them, would have spilled the beans. How many of you are familiar with the name Chuck Colson? Most of you might be. Chuck Colson was arrested for the Watergate scandal. 
And in one of his chapters, in one of his books, he entitled the chapter, Watergate and the Resurrection. And Colson makes this point. He makes the point that with the most powerful office in the world, with all the privileges of power, with the threat of imprisonment, 10 men in the White House could not hold together a conspiracy for more than two weeks. He then goes on to say this. He says, it is really likely then that a deliberate cover-up, a plot to perpetuate a lie about the resurrection, could it, it's likely then it could not have survived the violent persecution of the apostles, the scrutiny of the early church councils, the horrendous purge of the first century believers who were cast by the thousands to the lions for refusing to announce the lordship of Christ. Is it not probable that at least one of the apostles would have renounced Christ before being beheaded or stoned? Is it not likely that some smoking gun document might have been produced exposing the plot? Surely one of the conspirators would have made a deal with the authorities. And then he says, take it from one who was inside the Watergate web looking out, who saw firsthand how vulnerable a cover-up is. Nothing less than a witness as awesome as the resurrection of Jesus Christ could have caused these men to say what they said and do what they did. It happened. It happened. Whenever you doubt that Jesus rose from the dead, look at the facts. Think a little bit. It happened. It is true. And yet there's one more thing that we can do when we doubt. The most important thing to do when we doubt, and that is to listen to our Savior speak. Listen to his words because faith comes by hearing. And that is what Mary does in this passage. As you're reading John 19 or 20, John 20, you realize that Mary didn't believe because of what she saw. In fact, we're told she saw two angels in the tomb, but didn't believe. She then saw Jesus face to face, and she thought he was a gardener. Mary's a little slow on the uptake. She must have been the first Lutheran. That's another sermon. She only believed when Jesus spoke to her and called her by name. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And at that, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Now, all of you can understand this. All of you can understand how someone's voice, when you know, you know their voice, and when they call you, you just know it's them. All of you can remember either your father's or mother's voice or an aunt or grandma's voice calling you. And you know what it's like when a spouse calls you. You know it's them. In fact, by the tone of their voice, you know whether you're call, you should go and see them or if you should hide out in the garage, right, men? I got some chores to do. Just by the tone, you know these things, just by the voice. Well, Mary knew 
the voice of Jesus. It was the voice of the good shepherd, the voice that calls the sheep, and the sheep come to him. It was a voice that called Lazarus out of the tomb. Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. It's a voice that called the disciples to follow. It was the very voice that created the universe. As Jesus called to Mary, the creator of the universe was creating faith in her. When she heard his voice, she believed. Even more, Jesus doesn't stop by just calling her. He then goes on to give Mary a wonderful promise. He doesn't say to Mary, you know, Mary, you didn't get it. Mary, you should have got it. Mary, you didn't know what I was up to. Instead, after having her attention, Jesus says this to her. Verse 17, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, and listen to what he says, say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. In other words, Mary, even though you didn't get it, as you hear now, guess what I've just done? I have made you a child of God. In the beginning of John, it says that no one can become a child of God by the will of the flesh, but it must be by the will of God. And so after the resurrection, Jesus stands there, calls her by name. The first thing he says to her is that my God is your God. My Father is your Father. In other words... You are a child of God. You have been born again. And it wasn't even by your own decision. It was by my decision, Christ is saying, by dying on the cross and rising from the dead and calling you by name. And the God of the universe was making her a child of God on that spot. And then she said, go. And you speak that same message. Why, Mary? Because I'm going to speak through you. And you're going to share it with the other disciples so that they would hear my voice. And that they too would believe that they are truly a child of God. And so Mary did this. She went back to the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. And that he has said these things. That you are children of God. To her. Now to you. Reformation. Do you doubt of course you do. All people doubt. Do something about it. Pray and ask God to help you with your doubt. Look at the other arguments being made out there. Most are so foolish, they'll only strengthen your faith. Look also at the facts. Where's the body? Why couldn't anyone find a body? Why wasn't a single person able to pull out the body? The reason is because there is no body. He is raised from the dead. But finally, more still, in the midst of your doubt, open your Bibles and come to church and listen to the words of Jesus speaking through the Word or speaking through a pastor or speaking through someone else and hear His voice call you and tell you that your sins are forgiven and says that He goes to prepare a place for you and that He'll come back for you and He'll take you to be with the Lord forever. And that with the Lord, there'll be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more pains. All those things have been passed away. 
Instead, you'll be with God forever. Hear that voice speak to you. Now, I know many of you still might object. You might say, Lord, I have many demons. That's okay, Mary. Come and be delivered. But Lord, I have so much doubt. Thomas, see my hands and touch my side. But Lord, I've denied you three times. Peter, I will not deny you. But I persecuted Christians. Paul, I will send you to defend them. But Lord, I'm a dealer of fine linens. Lydia, soon you will deal with Christians. But Lord, I'm a mere boy. Timothy, your mother and grandmother followed me, and so too will you. Now go. Over and over and over, all through Scripture, God's calling you, calling to you, calling out to you, forgiving your sins, uniting yourselves to Christ, promising eternity. Over and over, he speaks and calls to you. And so when God calls, listen to his voice. Trust his word. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your death. His wounds are your healing. His death is your freedom. His blood is your forgiveness. His resurrection is your hope. His words are the words of eternal life. So be of good cheer because God speaks those words to you. In Jesus' name, amen. He is risen. He is risen Hallelujah.